Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. July 2006 Scottish Rite Reporter and is a reprint of a speech given on May 3, 2005 by illustrious Rite Worshipful Thomas W. Jackson, 33rd degree Executive Secretary, titled, The Acacia is Wilting in North America. My brethren, I will introduce to you a quotation that I kept in my classroom for many years when I was teaching. Quote, when you place your hand in a flowing stream, you touch the last that has gone before and the first that is yet to come." End quote. A man's relevant position in history and our position in Freemasonry is at that hand. We stand today as the hand in the flowing stream of Freemasonry, touching the last that has gone before and the first that is yet to come. There is a distinctive difference, however, between the hand in the water and us. The hand has no power to change the ultimate destiny of the flow of the river, but we, my brethren, have the capacity and the power to change the ultimate destiny of Freemasonry. Approximately 30 years ago, I presented a paper to a subordinate lodge that began with the statement, Freemasonry is in trouble. At that time, I was referring to the decline beginning to show in the quantity of membership. I regret that time has not improved that situation. Sadly, we are in a much deeper trouble today in member quantity. The decline in our numbers began and unquestionably continues as a sociological phenomenon affecting most organizations in North America. It began simply as a change in the basic interests of American society. This was not a new phenomenon to Freemasonry. Societal interests have never been static and have always impacted the craft. Our leadership did not cause a decline of fraternal interest then or now but we are likely now responsible for accelerating it. What is even more alarming is that the rate of decline is probably going to continue to accelerate. This situation is a tragedy of monumental proportion because the ways we are responding to it are rapidly deteriorating the image and influence of Freemasonry in North America. In fact, it has plummeted as a result of our response to it, that is, in our failure to attract the quality men who projected our image in the past and we're chiefly responsible for exerting its influence. We are not replacing quality with quality. We must now bear the weight of the responsibility for not only permitting the deterioration, but to some degree in actually stimulating it by not watching our outer door. The rapidity of the decline in member numbers is not as great as it was during the Morgan era, a period from 1826 to 1852, when the anti-Masonic political party was established. But the dilution of the quality of our institution and its ability to influence society does not follow the same pattern today as it did after the Morgan Affair. While many Grand Lodges lost 75% of their membership in the 1830s, they eventually rebounded with the same quality of membership and influence as had existed before. The loss of members we are experiencing today is not being replaced with the same quality. 
As a result, our recovery will be far less likely, and the major variable causing this difference has been internal rather than external, as was the case with the Morgan Affair. My brothers, we have the opportunity to control our destiny and our survival as a viable institution, but it depends on our commitment to sustain an organization that has the capability to continue to influence society, not simply to exist as an institution with the name Freemasonry. Freemasons have used the acacia symbolically as an emblem of immortality for many years. It has exemplified our commitment to a belief in a power higher than ourselves and a life beyond death. However, Freemasonry is not immortal, not any more immortal than any of the hundreds of other extinct organizations that have died before it. It remains subject to the influence that we place upon it. We are the hand in the flowing stream of Freemasonry, and because of us, the acacia is wilting in North America. We have admitted for years that only 10% of our membership is active. This conversely means that 90% are inactive, and yet these brothers pay their dues each year knowing full well that they will probably never be active. There is only one logical reason for a man to do this. There is a perceived value in being able to say, I am a Freemason. Thus, for those who retain their membership principally because they perceive an advantage of belonging to a highly respected organization, deterioration in quality directly impacts their very reason for belonging. Unfortunately, we can readily see the effect of these observations today. We're not only failing to attract, we're failing to retain. The rate of suspensions for non-payment of dues, as well as resignations, is rising in almost all jurisdictions and is not a result of the sociological condition of the time. It is the consequence of a vision failure on the part of the leadership and how they have responded to the issue. We now find suspensions and resignations directly attributed to a loss of respect in what our fraternity has become. This was predictable. If we are losing respect by our own membership, how can we expect respect from those outside our membership? In North America, we are the product of a style of Freemasonry that has long de-emphasized much of the structural integrity upon which the craft was formed and upon which it excelled. We have excised from the craft those intellectual and philosophical standards for which it has been known throughout its existence and for which it continues to be known over much of the globe. We have made elitism a dirty word when applied to the craft, and yet it is elitist by the very definition of taking good men. We have diluted the requirements for admission and advancement along with the stimuli for learning the extent that North American Freemasons today know less about the craft than any other Freemasons in the world. We have evolved into a form of Freemasonry ignorant of its own heritage, its purpose, and its potential. As this self-perpetuating ignorance increases, it is followed by an ongoing erosion of the general quality of the membership, which in turn is followed by an increasing rate of decline and an interest in membership. Sadly, this phenomenon was also highly predictable. We have created many of our own problems by making the craft too easily obtainable and retainable. Emphasis on increasing numbers rather than on educating those who are already members has become a way of life to North American Freemasonry. Today, our leaders rarely focus attention beyond the acquisition of members and the raising of money to give way to other organizations. North American leadership seems to have acquired a type of syndrome that results in an attitude that large numbers represent success and that we can buy admiration and respect through our charities. Thus, even while our membership is decreasing, our lodge buildings crumbling, and our image deteriorating, 
we continue to concentrate a major portion of our efforts on soliciting numbers and raising money to give to charities that too often don't even acknowledge our contributions. The bottom line is that while we have inherited from our brothers of the past a respect unmatched by any organization that ever existed, we are now losing it. And we cannot buy it back. It must be earned. It would behoove each of us to ask ourselves, would I have joined this craft when I did, if it was then what it is today? If you have similar doubts as I, you are probably looking at the major cause for our failure to attract the quality men, who himself would then attract quality men. What has happened to the community leader, the professional man, the man visible in society who represented a large segment of our craft in the past and served as a living image that stimulated interest in others to join? Now ask yourself this question. What do we offer today that would attract these type of men to us? My brothers, if your lodge does not offer much, it is not the result of any sociological condition of our time. It is the result of the lodge's failure to understand our heritage and our purpose, as well as to provide an environment wherein such men might wish to participate and learn. We must stop looking for excuses to justify our failure. Rather, let us accept the responsibility for what we have created and develop ways to change it without reducing the quality of the organization or deviating from its philosophical principles. Of what value will it be if we are no longer capable of influencing civil society? My brethren, Freemasonry has never needed anything more than its own philosophy, its own reputation, and its own membership to support its image. What should be the most important for us to learn in North America is that this basic yet profound understanding of what is significant to Freemasonry still holds true in most of the rest of the world. My brothers, the simplest and most definitive explanation of the purpose of Freemasonry is that it is designed to take good men and make them better. If we succeed in that purpose, we fulfill our obligation to the craft, to our heritage, and to our world. There is nowhere within that definition a requirement for large numbers. We have assumed an obligation to make a man better, and we can only do that one man at a time. One of our glaring weaknesses as leaders today is our inability to see the big picture. We have become so enmeshed in issues of a lesser magnitude that we ignore the great ones for which the craft is known. We have become so engrossed with issues that are not paramount to the purpose of Freemasonry that we have ignored those that are. We did not impact this world because we had great numbers. We impacted this world because we had the kind of members who could impact it. Decisions are being reached today in Grand Lodge after Grand Lodge that are literally restructuring and remolding our noble institution into something it was never meant to be. The results are evident by the dilution of our influence to use our philosophies and precepts in the development of what is good and right in the evolution of civil society. We as leaders of Freemasonry have an assumed obligation to do all within our power to curtail this dilution, to contribute to the perpetuation of our ideals, and to cause them to be diffused into the stream of thoughts of future generations. If we fail in this purpose, we fail in our commitment to our brothers of the past whose contributions are etched upon the headstones of eternity. More importantly, however, we fail in our commitment to society and to world peace and understanding. It is difficult to comprehend what motives have caused us to lose focus on our qualitative emphasis of the past, especially since the record of American Masonic history clearly shows our predecessors accomplished so much. How can 300 years of practice and tradition in the field of ethics and fraternalism no longer be applicable in today's world? Are Americans that different from the balance of Western society? I think not. My brothers, 
we must not lower the standards of the craft to fit the present-day society. Instead, we must always pull others up to meet with us, not climb down to meet with them. We have a real opportunity today to facilitate the process of good image and continued relevance. Freemasonry is experiencing an unprecedented surge of public interest, more than has been seen for well over a hundred years. With the emergence of Freemasonry in the Eastern European countries and the development of the craft in Africa, Freemasonry is appearing or resurfacing with a newfound vigor. Yet North America, instead of participating in the glory of this growth and interest, we find ourselves struggling to stay alive. We will not survive unless we return to the roots that made us great. We must refrain from requiring less and beginning to require more. Even as the future we are entering will require more from its great men, we must require more from our members if we are to participate in that future. As Maureen Dowd once said, if you require less than you deserve, you will receive less than you require. How we respond now will determine how we are perceived in the future. Let each of us as leaders seriously ask ourselves how we want to be remembered. My brothers, the acacia is wilting. I do not want to be remembered by history as a part of the generation that destroyed North American Freemasonry. Do you? And that's the end of that article. And that makes me think to ask the question of how do you think that ties in with your lodge and with Freemasonry today? That That's... Uh, article is 16 years old or the speech is 16 years old now uh, coming up on 17 and so actually it's, I guess it's over 17 years old so I know what I see from my lodge is that since the pandemic we've seen an influx of what I would say is good men uh, I've met some of these men I've been on their investigating team um, prior to that I think we were just pushing for numbers and we had a couple of people join um, that didn't make it past the background check uh, we've had a couple people join that maybe really weren't the greatest fit but I think we were just happy to get members in the door um, so it's kind of interesting now I mean I'd be curious you know my email is Aaron Reddick at yahoo.com if you want to comment or send me an email or anything uh, I think you could also comment on the podcast through the the format there through Anchor or Spotify. So anyways, with that, we'll finish that one up for the week. And as always, thank you for listening. We greatly appreciate it. The following article is from the December 1999 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry. A Call to Action, Challenge and Response by Edmund Cohen, 32nd Degree. For masonry to reach its potential, we must remain true to our principles, articulate what we stand for, and challenge good men to join our ranks. Freemasonry has survived over the years in the face of very significant challenges. Even today, we are buffeted by critics who spread misconceptions about us in an effort to impugn our reputation and erode our membership. We also face a more silent challenge, the indifference of a generation of men who are not joiners. They do not criticize us. They simply see us, if aware of masonry at all, as a relic of the past irrelevant to their world. In the face of these twin challenges, some Masons have begun to believe that Masonry's best days are in the past. Not so. Freemasonry is more relevant today than ever before. Understanding our critics. It often comes as something of a surprise to Masons that Freemasonry, the gentle craft, comes in for such virulent criticism. The fraternity is portrayed by its enemies as a secret society that must be opposed because it is in competition with existing religions, cultures, and political entities. 
Opposition to Masonry stems from the fact that it is not just another men's organization or social club. Rather, it represents a rich philosophical tradition, and it is opposition to this tradition that undergirds much of the criticism. Philosophically, Freemasonry is inclusive rather than exclusive and transcends the barriers of religion, ethnicity, and nationality that separate one man from another. This does not sit well with zealots who see an essential dichotomy between their one true belief and all other creeds or philosophies. Thus, religious tolerance, which allows each man to worship God in his own way, is as foreign to their thinking as it is fundamental to ours. Similarly, the cultural true believer is also an opponent of Freemasonry. In many primitive societies, the word for human and for man was the name of one's own people, expressing syntactically the view that all others were not human or men. Today, the cultural fanatic continues this tradition and devalues all those who are not of his own group. This extreme of ethnicity and nationality led to the horrors of Nazi Germany and to the genocide and tribal strife that now afflict Africa and the former Yugoslavia. In contrast, Masonry joins together men of all cultures and nationalities because its fundamental philosophy supports freedom of thought and expression. This explains why totalitarian regimes make it a first order of business to oppose Masonry. Standing foursquare in favor of democracy, toleration, and justice, Freemasonry should be proud to number religious bigots and political chauvinists as its enemies on the right. But Freemasonry also has its critics on the left. There are many who now believe there are no absolutes of right and wrong. They espouse an ethical and cultural relativism that views rules of conduct as simply the preferences of a particular community or group at a particular time. In their worldview, there are no immutable principles or fundamental truths. Values, they claim, change over time within a society so that what is right and moral today may not be viewed in the same way tomorrow. And even more to the point, what is right and moral in one society has no necessary validity in another society. Freemasonry does not believe good and evil are wholly subjective and that any action is as valid as any other action. It is willing to stand up for certain values that are both timeless and universal. Consequently, Freemasonry is philosophically equidistant from a bankrupt ethical and cultural relativism on the one hand and the tyranny of religious and cultural absolutism on the other. It rejects the anything-goes philosophy of the extreme left as it firmly as it rejects the bigotry and chauvinism of the extreme right. Challenging Indifference The challenge of indifference is no less pernicious. Our critics at least find us worth fighting. To many others, we are virtually invisible. This points to a serious problem in our society. At a time when people can communicate so much more easily and quickly with others around the world via the internet, they are becoming more isolated from their families and their neighbors. The sense of community, which long sustained us as a nation, is eroding. Our society is more transient and in flux than ever before. In the business world, the freelancer is replacing the company man. The loyalty of an employee to the corporation, or of the corporation of the employee, has waned to the point of non-existence in many cases. Neither values the other beyond what is required by a temporary and narrowly defined economic self-interest. And a political environment, which has become mean-spirited, if not downright vicious, parallels the law of the jungle in business. These corrosive influences extend to the family environment, where the divorce rate is dangerously high and there is less sense of family. The philosophy of masonry is at odds with this trend toward self-indulgence and self-absorption. But the battle cannot be fought by ignoring the changes in our society, by maintaining the low profile of the past decades, or by drawing more deeply into our lodges and ourselves. Instead, masonry must reach out to the community, tell its story, and begin to attract more of the good men who should be joining our ranks. 
With its tolerance for different views and beliefs, Masonry can be an integrative force in a society that is becoming more fractionalized and divided. With its emphasis on an almost chivalric courtesy and politeness, it can, be, it can help to reestablish a tone of civility that is notably lacking in our social discourse. And with its emphasis on the universal principles of brotherly love, relief, and truth, it can exert the moral leadership needed in a society where many have lost their way. But in order for Masonry to reach its potential, we must remain true to our principles, articulate what we stand for, and challenge like-minded individuals in our communities to join our ranks. Preserving our heritage. Although we must move boldly to improve the position of the fraternity, we must also take care not to destroy its very essence. This requires that we remember what we are and keep in mind what we are not. We are a fraternity, a band of men joined together by common values and freely taken obligations. As Masons and members of a lodge and other Masonic bodies, we build social relationships with men of different generations, diverse backgrounds, varied interests, and wide-ranging talents, and these endure for decades. What we are not is a lobby or a public interest group. Although we are concerned about the important issues of our time, we are not a public service organization, although we care deeply about our communities. And we are not an organized philanthropy like the Cancer Society, although we support with our time and money many charitable causes. In sum, we are not an organization of people temporarily joined together for one particular purpose. We espouse values and principles that are far broader and more enduring. This distinction is important because it explains why we should not pattern ourselves on these other organizations. It explains why we must continue to be selective in deciding who should be admitted to our ranks. And it explains why we care, not just about a man's dedication to a cause, but about his moral character as well. Living Masonry and Telling Our Story for the craft to survive, we must first actually live our Freemasonry. There are many allusions to knighthood and Masonic ritual. This is not a throwback to a romantic medievalism, but rather the symbolic recognition that in this modern, fast-paced, impersonal, dog-eat-dog world, Freemasons still believe in and stand for the knightly values of courage and faithfulness, courtesy and kindness, honesty and fairness. These are the values that will continue to attract the kind of men we seek. But we have to live up to these values. Each of us needs to be the kind of person who inspires trust and confidence in others so that people will say, if he's the type of person who's a Mason, that is the organization for me. Second, we must tell our story. Today, public awareness of our fraternity has declined to the point that many are unclear about what Freemasonry stands for and what it does. Because of our silence, they get misinformation from scandalous accounts and sensationalist publications that purport to tell about the quote-unquote secrets of Freemasonry. We have not escaped criticism by lowering our heads and trying to avoid controversy. We have only become more obscure and more of a target. The answer is to raise our profile in our communities and in society at large, to publicize our activities, and to proclaim what we stand for. To do this, each of us must now become an effective ambassador of Freemasonry. Reduced to bare essentials, we need to ensure that everyone in America knows at least seven things about Freemasonry. One, it is the oldest, largest, and most widespread fraternal organization in the world. Two, it is non-sectarian and non-political. Three, it is not a secret society. It neither conceals its existence nor its purposes. Four, it is a fraternity, a social organization, but it has more serious purposes too. Five, its principles are friendship, morality, and brotherly love. Six, it plays a positive civic role. 
Masons are involved in everything from scholarship and blood donor programs to quiet assistance for individuals, as well as well-publicized philanthropies such as the Shrine Hospitals for Children and the Scottish Rite Childhood Language Disorders Clinics. And seven, finally, although it does not solicit members, there is a Masonic Lodge nearby ready to welcome men of good character who share our high moral standards and are interested in service to their community. Attracting Masons at Heart Finally, we cannot ignore the developing crisis of declining membership. Although we do not solicit members, we must work actively to interest men in Freemasonry. We all know men who are Masons in every way but one. They have not yet petitioned the fraternity. We must make it possible for them to ask us for a petition, and we must be prepared to answer two questions. The first is, why join an organization at all? Many good men do not feel they can join an organization and still devote enough energy to their job, take care of their family, be active in their church, and have a little time left to relax. The answer is that man is fundamentally a social creature with an inherent need for friendship, love, and association with others. Thus, the right organization can play a very positive role in every good man's life by helping his personal growth, expanding his circle of friends, and making him a well-rounded human being. With so many organizations competing for members, the second and even more critical question is, why join the Masons? The answer is that Freemasonry, with its proud history and rich tradition, is the one organization with everything. It is a social and fraternal organization, but it has a more serious side. It brings together men for worthwhile activities, gives them a sense of belonging, an opportunity for personal development through involvement in activities which are socially responsible and impact favorably on their fellow man and on their community. The men we are seeking recognize we live in dangerous times when moral and social advancement has not kept pace with scientific and technological progress. They know weapons of mass destruction are often in the hands of men without scruples or conscience. They are worried about scientific advances that may save our bodies at the cost of our humanity. Such men will want to play a role in an organization that seeks to redress the balance, and they belong with us in a fraternal organization dedicated to the propagation of moral values and ethical precepts. It is necessary that each of us carry our message to such men, men we know at work and at church, in our social relationships and in our professional associations. These men already are Masons in their hearts, but do not know who we are or how to approach us. We must educate them about Freemasonry, interest them in our work, and lay the groundwork so that each will ask to join. Each of us must be engaged in the revitalization of our great fraternity. We owe it to the Masons who came before us and to those who will come after us. We must bequeath to them a strong and vibrant Freemasonry. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.